0: At Pluralsight, they believe everyone should have the opportunity to create progress through technology. Pluralsight is a tech workforce development company that provides the solutions that high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether you need to build the skills, individuals, and teams to tackle mission-critical projects, drive cloud transformation, or help software teams ship reliable, scalable, and secure code, you can harness the collective power of hindsight foresight and insight with Pluralsight. Check them out today at Pluralsight.com
1: vision. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't-be-done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.
2: How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com.
1: From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online. Online. With Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander.
0: Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander on WMCK.fm. McKee. Monday, Tuesdays, and Friday at 10 p.m., 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle, 1620 AM, Huntington, online at HOFFradio.com, Saturdays at 7 a.m., Mixtape Reader International, mtri.co.uk, Mondays at 10, Steel FM, steelfm.org. Fridays at three, WWSX Radio 99.1 FM, Radio Rehoboth, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Orca Radio at Orca Radio Coffee Cup.com. in Owensboro, Kentucky at 10 p.m. on Tuesdays, and I need a longer music bed, and also our newest affiliate at Good Talk Radio at goodtalkradio.com Sundays at eleven p.m. And of course we are streaming on italknet.com and also PGH Talk Radio com and also pghtalk.radio12345.com. dot one two three four five and <laughs> I need, Again, I need a longer intro. We just picked up a new radio affiliate this past week, and I didn't have time to re-edit the music bed, so we'll fix that for next week, so don't worry about it. Hope everything's going fine for you on this uh, Monday evening, the night we record the program and we stream live. Hope everything is going well for you and everything is uh, well for me. One other note, too. If any of you have gone to my website today and noticed there has been a schedule change, well, there has been, but... Just to let you know, I pre-recorded what you're hearing now, I shouldn't say this, live on uh, BossJockRadio.com, which is reliving the days of Boss Radio from the Philadelphia and Los Angeles areas. I am their new overnight DJ from 10 until 1 a.m., 10 p.m. on the east, 7 p.m. on the west. That's it. We'll get it right. Anyway, so that I'm the new guy doing that there, so I'm doing oldies radio also. And simultaneously as we talk, but that was pre-recorded, but you didn't hear me say that because if I do, they get mad at me. But anyhow, right now we're going, uh, going to talk to someone that we talked to, again, it's hard to believe, July 17th, 2019. And the individual hosts a podcast, ReallyFamousPodcast.com. Now, I remember doing the introduction back then, I said, this is something unusual for me because I've never interviewed another host before. Well, since that period of time, I've interviewed multiple hosts of other programs, but this was the first one I actually interviewed, and she's agreed to come back tonight, and that is Kara Mayer Robinson. Kara, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Bill. I have to give
3: you some uh, kudos for all of those radio stations that you mentioned, like with very little problem. You, you did a great job. That's a, that's a lot for your mouth to have to
0: do and uh, I congratulate you on that. Well, the one thing I think is interesting, and I was thinking about this earlier this evening, that when I was looking at doing my program, my main focus and goal was getting it back on radio again. And That was my goal, and that actually happened due to uh, the situations we've had this last year with COVID because it gave me more time to market the program. However, when I look at what you've done over the past years, you've basically caught the world on fire with everybody you've interviewed on your podcast and on your YouTube channel.
3: Well, thank you. I did not stop during this past year. I just couldn't. But, like, I really can't. I do. And if I'm not interviewing I just feel 100% right. You right. know what I mean? Like, I feel like myself when I'm doing these interviews, and I love to do it. And I, I probably paused for a couple of weeks at the very beginning in you know, March 2020, but then I just went speed ahead. So I did. I did have to adjust what I was doing, though, because before... I would always interview celebrities in person. So if anybody ever pitched me a celebrity and said, hey, can you have so-and-so on your show? Can they call in or can they do it remotely? I always said no. So it was a big change for me to realize, okay, if I want to keep this going, I'm going to have to change my, you know, I'm going to have to be a little more flexible. So I figured it out. Got on Zoom, and you know, for the last year, I haven't done any in person at all. So it's it's a little different for me, but I'm glad I was doing it. Glad I got to keep going with it. But I am definitely ready to be face to face again.
0: So when I when I go through and look at who you've interviewed um, the past year, I mean, you've talked to um, let's see here, you've talked to Henry Winkler, Randy Rainbow, Daisy Fuentes, Matt Fraser, Louie Anderson. Christopher Knight, which everybody knows him as Peter from the Brady Bunch, Todd Bridges from Different Strokes, um, Danny Aiello, Jim Gaffigan, and all these people, but a lot of them, like you said, they were done using a, a, uh, another platform such as Zoom. Now, was it difficult to get those individuals to agree to do Zoom calls with you to do the program?
3: Well, I mean, booking celebrities is no easy task. So no matter what, it's whole, it's an art and it's a science, I guess, a The same story. So whether or not it's in person, I would have to say that it's been easier, possibly, booking this year because you know now they can be in the comfort of their own home, and everybody by I would say by last May knew how to get on a Zoom meeting. So by then it was like you just say, okay, if they're you know they we'll do a remote interview, and everybody knows how to do it. So this way they don't have to actually get to my studio, and usually they're either. at my studio or I go to their house so I'm based out of New York City so normally I'll go into their apartment let's say and we'll sit down we'll sit in their living room and talk or and, you know, I go to LA a couple times a year and then I will go to their homes most of the time or they'll meet me at a studio and we'll record there so it is much more Um, complicated, I would say, to book the in-person interview than the Zoom interview. But doesn't mean that the Zoom interview is always as good as in-person, but I would say probably has been a little bit easier to book.
0: Um, Now, was there a learning curve for you to learn how to do Zoom
3: Yes, um, for sure. I would say one of the first things when I decided, okay, a couple weeks into the pandemic, and I realized, okay, obviously I'm not going anywhere to do interviews anytime soon. I didn't know it was going to be this long, obviously. But I decided I have to to just do it. And so, yeah, I mean, this isn't the first thing I've learned on my own, though. I didn't know a thing about podcasts until I decided to, to make one myself podcasting. Before I was a podcaster, I was a journalist, and I did not go into journalism school. I have a psychology degree, a master's in psychology. I was a therapist before I was a journalist. So I basically taught myself journalism. And so I taught myself podcasting. So this is what I do. I figure things out. Um, And so there were some glitches at the beginning, and I'm still learning a little bit here and there, but I got the right equipment, and I went for it. But I have to tell you, I'll admit that I did goof up and didn't realize until like two weeks ago, literally, that when I was getting my recording started on Zoom, I didn't realize I was supposed to be using what's called original audio. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Or am I I, just like in a foreign language? Okay. I needed to click on original audio, otherwise Zoom does this weird thing where they think that they're having your audio, but when you have a good mic like mine, it actually hurts the audio, mm-hmm. and it makes it sound echoey and bad, and I only realized this two weeks ago. Yeah, I sort of missed out on that really high-quality audio, at least on my part.
0: Well, so your guests, they were able to figure it out, too, because that's the one thing I've always worried about, because... I have not ventured into the video world, and maybe this year I will since everybody's been practiced with it, um, because I was worried about what the video quality was going to look like, not from my end, but from the other person's end. And I have done um, audio interviews only where they wanted to join me on Skype or on Zoom, but I never showed the video. I just fed the audio, and they could look at me because they said they felt uncomfortable talking to a telephone for a period of time or a microphone. So they would rather just have that dialogue with me, but being able to see me at the same time. So I was worried about how the, uh, the image would be and how they were able to do it. And the other thing is... I've always worried about what my background looks like behind me. Now, I'm in a new studio, and everything is different, and everything's been planned for video in the future here. But were you worried about what your background looked like?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. And just you were worried. I was worried about what other people's background... Oh, that's true. ...and the lighting and all of that. Yeah. But, number, I mean, the fact is that I'm interviewing celebrities, so they're sort of used to being on camera, and they sort of understand lighting is, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, believe me, but I do send out like an email with some details ahead of time, like good lighting is really a plus and uh, headphones are key, but it doesn't mean I haven't walked some people through it. So for example, Talia Shire, I did a podcast with her and she only wanted to do phone, right? She did not want to do Zoom. That was, she had never done it before. Right. So I set up the interview with her. I talked to her over the phone. We really hit it off and connect, and we, we actually became friends after that, texting each other, sending, us, sending each other pictures and whatnot, and one day she tells me after we recorded the podcast, guess what, I did a Zoom, my first Zoom the other day, and I said, what, you did your first Zoom? Well, then you're going to do a Zoom with me, and we're going to create a video interview, a new one, that I can run on my YouTube channel. So she said, Okay, I'll I'll do it. <laughs> so I walked her through it. You know, I got her on Zoom. She showed up. She knew how to do it. And then I had to walk her through, well, let's move the computer over here where the window is giving you some light in front and back. So it worked out. It was fun. But that's kind of what what the podcast and what the YouTube channel it kinda of the feel is, is that it's real. It's what how I'm really connecting and talking to my guests. So that's that's how it's been with, and and I would say, for the most part, they've shown up with pretty decent backgrounds and lighting. Uh, sound quality, not as good, because a lot of them are using AirPods. right which, You know, the mics aren't great on that. But for me, I just got my whole, I, I tried all the different rooms in the house, believe me. I started probably, oh, I think I started in my bedroom. The first two interviews I had were Costa Ronan, from uh, Homeland and the Americans. He was my first, and Patrick Fabian from Better Call Saul. And I think I did both of them in my bedroom, and I ordered new lights. I was all excited. I put the lights up, but then I looked at the video later, and I was like, oh, this is so drab. There's, like, no color in here. It didn't look great. The sound was fine, but it didn't look that good. So then I moved to another room, which is basically half office and half dining room. And I did that for a while. I moved this way. I had Louie Anderson once. And and he was like, oh, I, I don't like that curtain behind you. Try over there. So I tried all different things. Anyway, long story short, not short, but here's how it ended up, is now I officially have my son's bedroom because he's at college. And I really set it up nicely so that the sound is good. And everything has just been ready to go whenever I record.
0: Which, which is good, because when I started doing it, when I started doing it again, because my original studi- studio was in my, my den, but unfortunately that became my son's bedroom, and he didn't move out to go to college. He's commuting beca- and also doing online stuff because of what happened with COVID, so I had to get everything out of there. I moved to the laundry room, because that was the <laughs> only room during the week in the evenings that no one used, and then my wife was tired of tripping over my stuff, so I decided I was going to clean out my basement, put a new room in in the basement, and that's where my studio is now. But um, again, it gives you it gives you that understanding about what good audio sounds like and what good video looks like. And I don't know if if like you said, the celebrities know how to set it up themselves because they always have someone do it for them. But because well, sometimes of
3: sometimes the celebrities. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go
0: ahead. Because of COVID and everybody that's done these interviews, they have done interviews with the major networks or the major talk shows that they have been walked through it in some way, shape or form in a lot of the situations.
3: Yes. And also what I was going to add is that a lot of them do self-tape auditions now. So yes. they have to submit auditions. So they have their own setup. A lot of times it's like a bedroom closet or something like that um, but that they use, but they do know how to self-tape. So they are a little bit more used to it with that in mind. I'm going to give you another tip, too, for anybody who wants to do video. It's all difference for me. I have had, you were worried about the sound quality, I mean the uh, visual quality of it, yes. right? I did because I was a little frustrated by my lighting. So I was experimenting with different places to put the camera. I got in a new uh, c- computer. I thought that That's great. The camera will be upgraded. So maybe that will improve things. I tried all different lights. It wasn't quite right. And as I was researching, I found a little nugget of information that has been gold for me, which is... How to use your DSLR camera? So that's your regular camera that you would use um, on a, you know, tripod or something like that, and hook it up to your computer. So that is actually your webcam. So I now use my Canon DSLR camera as my webcam, and half the time I don't even need lighting. It's that good that's because good. it lets in that much light. So I have gotten a lot of compliments. I did a, um, I did a workshop at podcast movement this year and a lot of the comments were what this is like the best camera quality that I've seen yet like what is she using and so that's the one thing I want to share with everybody is if you have a DSLR camera hook it up
0: to your computer the other thing I did when I was using a camera in here because I was recording some of the stuff I actually used a fixed mount. fixed That was on the wall that was already positioned the way it would be just for me, because I hate Um, setting up a tripod before and after an interview or before and after a recording. It's just nice to have it there. So when I'd walk into the room, we were set and ready to go. But um, unfortunately, I haven't done that because... uh, the, the deal that I did with the local cable station here, uh, we're not doing right now because of COVID. So if that happens again, I'll be hooking that back up. But um, I think it's really interesting that your guests that you've had on are A-list celebrities for the most part. And that they have been embracing your program um, in a way that you probably never thought would happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've been interviewing people for a long time, celebrities specifically, for a, a few years. And as I said, I was a journalist, so I was interviewing them before I started my own show. And I think that I already started to realize that my interviews were they felt good to the people who I was interviewing. So I already knew that people liked my kind of conversations because they weren't typical interviews. It wasn't like a Q and a, it was really a conversation where I, I was interested in getting to know the person for real. And it still is that for me, but that was always my approach to interviews. So I didn't, say when I started a podcast, I remember sitting down, I had dinner with friends, and we were talking about how I was planning to start this podcast. And I was like, this is really crazy, though. Who's going to listen to me doing a show? Like, who knows me? I'm just a writer. And they know the celebrities, but they don't know me. Right. So I didn't really believe it at first. Um, But then as time went, you, you know, I get the feedback, and I can tell that people are happy with it afterwards. And I've had a lot of returns and a connection and they appreciate it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I know at this point that they like this kind of conversation, even though I think it's it's different because most interviews, I, I think they get old quick and it's not their favorite part of the gig is having to talk to the media. So this is not like the media in the traditional sense. So I do always, and I also really care a lot about making sure that they do enjoy themselves and that it is rewarding for them, not just for me and my viewers or listeners. So, um, yeah, no, but it's it's great. And sometimes I pinch myself and I think like, what? If I was, when I was a kid or when I was, you know, 25, I would have never imagined that I'm having these conversations with these huge names. Like, Right, exactly. Like you were saying, back when I was watching Different Strokes as a kid, I would never imagine that I'd be having this really intimate <laughs> conversation with Todd Bridges. Right. And, you know, like texting with him later and talking about things. And, you know, I really, I value that. And sometimes I really can't even believe that it's happening. Um, but I, I, I just love it. I treasure it. I, I feel
0: really, really lucky. Now, when you, when you do the interviews, are you doing it as a host or a podcaster?
1: So...
3: Um, I feel as though that's a good question that I really haven't thought about before. I always no, I think no matter what the format, whether it was when back when I was writing articles, or when I had just the podcast, or now with the YouTube channel, or also it's a little different with the live shows, but um, in front of an audience. But I am approaching it kind of as a therapist, because that's what I was. Oh, very and, good. Okay. Yeah, and also as a somebody who's meeting somebody and really trying to get to know them for the very first time. So I don't even think I approach it as a podcaster or as a host, but rather as, and and if you were to meet me somewhere in the middle of the day and we struck up a conversation, I would have the same approach, you know, with with somebody, a stranger. And I really am just interested in knowing who that person is. So I think that's just my approach is like two two people who don't really know each other and let's get to know each other a little bit better.
0: So when you interview the celebrities, are they people you want to interview or are they people that that other people or listeners or viewers have recommended for you to interview?
3: Good question. Again, um, most of them started out by being people who I was mostly interested in because I would be the one reaching out to their people, let's say, right. um, or I had interviewed them before, and so I knew that they they knew me and they trusted my, me and they knew my style and they liked my kind of conversation. So I, I approached them again. Oh, you know, I wrote about you for the New York Times, like for example, damon John and Tim Gunn. Um, I had written about them for the New York Times, and then I got back in touch when I was starting the podcast. I said, "Oh, could, would you would you mind recording and being my guest?" I said yes. And then as the show has gotten bigger. I'm getting approached more by people who are pitching their clients to me. So it's a mix, but I have to say I am very picky with who I say to, number one, because I really do have a feel for who my listeners and viewers will be interested in. And number two, the more interested I am – in the person, the more likely it's gonna be a good conversation. And so lots of times too, like I'll have my eye on somebody, I'll be watch something on T V or a movie and I'll be like, oh, I've got to talk to so and so. And then I will approach them. So I still like, feel passionate about a lot of people who I see on screen and I feel like I want to get to know them in real life. And so I will decide who they will be. And of course they'll either say yes or no and I get plenty of no so. Right. Yeah, it's a mix.
0: So cuz when I cause when I do it it's the same way I'm getting people pitch to me now but it's what's so funny about it is that they're mainly authors and psychics and I don't understand why <laughs> Well, why? There has to be a reason. Not, you must feel, not, okay, and, and, why do you think it is? To be honest is? with you, some of the authors I have on, I have read before. So it was actually very interesting to me. And it's been interesting because of the, the agencies that contact me. That's what they're promoting. And I read about them and I go, okay, this looks like a good fit. But the celebrities I have done, there's one or two that I have developed friendships with that the funny thing is, we have a connection to somebody else that we are both good friends with. So they start a striking conversation with me. And there's one that I have on the program every so many months, and we just update, and it's a conversation for an hour, basically her and I just catching up, which is kind of interesting because that's one of the largest listenerships I have. Um, or or downloads and listening on air because people feel comfortable that we're just talking about things and not addressing issues, which is kind of nice for a change. But when you have people on that are guests, do you do it as a professional or do you do it as a fan?
3: Yeah, so I feel like I'm not surprised what you're saying about those are your most popular episodes because I've had that too where people come back. So, Michael Imperioli is a perfect example of that. So, he has been on my show three times in different ways. Once it was a podcast, we just did an audio recording. Then we did the video, and it was also a podcast. So it was on the YouTube channel and the podcast. And the third time was actually my first live on stage show in New York City for an audience. So he was the first person I asked to do it, and actually it was his idea to do it. He's like, "You need to get this on on stage, and maybe at the end you do a fan Q and A." And you know, it was his idea. And finally, I said, "Okay, well, let's do it, and you'll be my guest." But the second, I remember the second episode that we taped. It was like, it was not an interview at all, because it didn't have to be. We had, I'd already asked him about The Sopranos. I'd already asked him about Goodfellas. I knew right. all that already. So we just talked about anything that was coming up, and people really responded to that. And there have been other talks with people like Steve Zahn is another one, um, Peter Herman, who it really wasn't an interview. It was just, we just... it it was like we just hit it off right away and started talking like we had been friends forever. So sometimes that happens the first time as well, but often it does happen with our guests. So to answer that specific question, I don't really feel like I approach them as a fan. I am a fan, but I'm not just a fan. I'm okay. more of a almost like more of a therapist, Real <laughs> I'm and I'm a film fan, TV fan, therapist, um, love human beings person. You know, I love connecting with other people. I'm fascinated and I'm curious about people. I love hearing about their stuff and what they think about and, and their experiences. So that's my approach all the time. And sometimes it is a bummer when I think feel like I need to make sure that I get to certain topics or questions, because I know that if I don't, that the audience may be disappointed that we didn't talk about it. Right. Do you know what I mean? So it's a balance. I think it's like a, you have to kind of figure out how to do a little bit of both, Um, but I do like the, I like the shows that are more conversational. Much better than those where the guest is just, you know, waiting for my next question, yes. expecting the next question. And then that's that. And lots of times that happens if they're just maybe they've been doing interviews for decades. And that's just how they think it's going to be. And they expect it. And they, they they just do it because they think that's what you, that's what I want, even though it really isn't.
0: I did one recently. And I don't know if you know the actress's name. Her name is Diane Franklin. She was in a lot of 80s films. Um better off dead the last american version amityville 2 she was going to be the next uh, molly ringwald unfortunately she decided she didn't want that went back to school had a family and now she's come out of retirement and started acting again well Mm. i had a crush on her when i was in high school and (laughs) it was like when i realized we were talking it was like I was stammering after the first five minutes because I'm <laughs> talking to my high school crush. And when I told her that it was so nice because she goes, that's really nice here. And then put me at ease. And then it was one of, it was a great interview and we've, we've scheduled another one to come up here real soon. But again, it, I just wonder how you deal with these people, especially since you've seen them for so many years. And like you said, with Todd Bridges, you never thought you'd be talking to him as an individual. And that's what I think is kind of interesting about your program, is because you come at it not as, like I said, a fan, but you come at it as a therapist. Now, when you're doing the therapist route, are you evaluating what they're saying and trying to psychoanalyze them?
3: So I'm not really trying to psychoanalyze them, except I just naturally sometimes notice things as we're going along, and I'll say them. So it's not like I'm keeping them to myself and I'm taking notes, but... For example, I just recorded a show with Justin Baldoni, and he was one of the stars of Jane the Virgin, which I'm guessing you didn't see it because it was it's kind of a small show, but everybody who watched it, just loved it. So he uh, he and I talked a lot about masculinity and insecurities and just so many interesting things. And as he is talking, I'm realizing like one of the things I I said, and it isn't even a therapist point of view, but I'm, I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, he's so sharp and he's really so smart. And when I bring something up that's maybe unrelated to anything that he's, you know, talked about or whatever before, he very quickly connected it with something else. Okay. And then was like, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. And then he would bring something else up. And that's like a big sign of intelligence to me. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I feel like you are really, you know, I know you said in your book that you didn't do well in school, but you're super smart. And so, you know, he was like, well, n- that's never how I've defined myself. And we got into a whole conversation about that. And so I find that when I do make observations, and I share them, you know, that that it really does make even more interesting conversation, and then they're really more engaged as well because it's not the same old questions, and they're not just shooting out the same answers that they're used to saying to people. So I do find that to be sometimes yes, that happens. Um, I, I'm just always diving and trying to get to know the person. So yeah, there does there does tend to be that that instinct or something to go a little deeper with me and see what's really what
0: they're really thinking. Kara, I have to take a brief time out, but we'll come back to more conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander. We're going to step away for a brief moment. On the phone line right now, we have Kara Mayer Robinson from the Really Famous Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment here online with yours truly,
4: Bill Alexander. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.
1: Hey. What's up? Thinking about you. XOXOXO. Want to snuggle dot, dot, dot. JK. Hit me back. You getting these texts? Question mark. We should hang later. I miss you. Holla at your boy. Holla back. Holla back.
3: Holla back. Are you at home? Where are you? What are you
2: doing? OMG, you are making me mad. Are you with your ex? You better text me back. I'm waiting
3: outside
1: your house.
4: Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com.
3: That's
0: notcool.com. That's not cool.
4: Brought to you by the Ad Council. A social distancing tip.
0: Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your healthcare provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov.
4: Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, Sean Casey here, former WORFM DJ. And you're listening to online with Bill Alexander.
0: And we're back online with Bill Alexander, Sean Casey again. Thank you for doing that. I want his pipes. If I could ever sound like a disc jockey from the 70s, that's what I want to sound sound like. But by the way, he'll be coming back on the program. Uh, sometime late spring, early summer. We're going to talk about his days at WIBG in Philadelphia. For those of you listening from the Philadelphia area, you know what I'm talking about, which is going to be fun to talk about that. And we're going to be talking about uh, KHJ, also out of uh, Los Angeles, too, with some people that uh, had the opportunity of working there, um, which, again, I think is kind of cool. <laughs> Anyhow, on the phone line right now, I have Kara Mayer Robinson from the Really Famous Podcast. So, what when we're when we're talking to these individuals like you do like you said um you were talking to the last one about his intelligence and everything else have you ever talked to someone where you're going oh my gosh i don't know where this is going to go because they're not giving me the answers that i want
3: oh yeah absolutely <laughs> has that ever happened to you
0: oh yes all the time <laughs> yeah
3: you're like are we even interviewers if that doesn't ever happen it doesn't happen often I'll tell you but I remember for I remember I would get that question a long time ago and I would be like well you know I don't know that that really happens that often but if obviously the more I do the more I see it Luckily, it's a fraction of the time, but most definitely, there have been people who I knew didn't really want to be there. Right. And probably somebody told them they had to do it, and they did not want to do it. Actually, you know what's funny? Is one of those people is actually Todd Bridges, but I wouldn't have guessed it. He told me about halfway through our interview that he did not want to do the interview. He hates doing media because the media has been awful to him yes, his whole I can imagine. life. And so, well, of course, of course they have. And of course he would feel that way, but he, but I could not tell. He did not really show it, but he did for whatever reason decide to tell me that in the middle of our conversation. And I was like, I feel so bad. I'm so sorry. Like I, do, my goal is not to put you in a situation that you don't want to be in. And it really actually addressing it opened him up even more. And afterwards he was really appreciative to me because I was probably the first person who had interviewed him in years, maybe, who he really could trust and believe, didn't want to just look for sound bites and, and throw them under the bus. And so, like I said, we, we have been in contact ever since. And so I think that's been a nice thing for him, too. But I, he was one of the people who did not want to do the interview. But I've had others who really just would not give me answers. And, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but, you know, you try different things and see if maybe they can, you can crack them a little bit. And, you know, not in a bad way, but get something a little bit more interesting. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't.
0: Well, my problem is, and I've had this happen, it's probably, I'd say, one out of ten, every ten that I do, because I stream this live to one of the local radio affiliates that I work with. So, Monday nights, I have an hour time slot I have to fill, And if I don't keep them for an hour, I have to panic and figure out what I'm going to do with the remaining amount of time. And when you have an interview scheduled for an hour and it doesn't work out, what do you do other than twiddle your thumbs and start singing TV theme songs? There's really only so much you can do. And what has happened is I will dump out of an interview early if I see they're not answering my questions, or they just keep giving me the same answer over and over again, they just keep rewarding. It. And that has happened. Yeah. Um, that has happened in, in quite a few situations. Um, not as often as you think, but it does happen.
3: Yeah, well, I'll give you an example of when something like that happened to me too. So I, I'm not live. So it's okay. It's like if I have to call it or cut it short or whatever, I will. But at the same time, if I don't have a full hour, it's not a podcast. I right. can use it as a video, but my podcasts are long-form deep dives and yes. when people tune in to listen, they are ready to really get into some meaty conversation and some juicy things and I'm not going to give them a half an hour because it's just not it's just not what they're there for. So it happened with Tara Reed. I don't know if you remember her. She was like, um, kind of in a day of uh Paris Hilton. She yes. was like one of one of kind of one of her friends, I think, and like a, she was known as a party girl and whatnot. And since then she's been in these Sharknado movies and a few others and she was promoting a movie and I had her on and I know that she she knew and I think that she knew it was going to be an hour and she was not really interested in my questions at all the whole time, but but all right, it was still okay. And then after probably a half an hour, she was like, okay, well, thank you so much. <laughs> I was like, oh my, like, well, no, no this, is an this is an hour conversation. And so, um, but I also knew there was, like you said, there was no reason to stretch it out. It just wasn't that good. So I decided, okay, fine, this that's that and then what I ended up doing was I had another conversation that I was that I recorded. I don't remember if it was before or after, but it was with Lilo Broncado, um, from a Bronx sale. He played uh, the lead, the, the boy who grew up uh, with Chaz Palminteri as his mentor. And so Lilo we talked so long and about so much that we probably had two hours of conversation. So I decided to split Lilo into two parts and then put Tara's on the back end of, of one of his, you know, parts of the conversation. But uh, yeah, I do find that if it's not that good, it was, you know, don't force yeah. it. But I, I think if you're live, I can't imagine what that feeling would
0: be well, like. Well, I've, I've learned something. I always have a 30 minute interview queued up, ready to go, just in ah. case it does happen. Um, Brilliant. And there's been some that I've done that I knew that they could only do 30 minutes with me. And I save those, they go on as the podcast, but I save those for those times where something like that happens. And, um, I have a few of them and actually some of them, I wish they were an hour long. I wish we could have done them an hour because they're really good. So this gives me the opportunity to, uh, to share them with the rest of the world as a, as part of the radio program. But again, yeah, I know what that's like, and it it does. It gets nerve-wracking because you don't know how to bail out, and you don't want to offend them when you do it because, in my mind, I think they realize what's happening, and you have to do it in a way that it's not going to offend them because eventually they may come back again, or they may say something negative about you, and you're going to get bad press. So you try to do your best and make it as uh, painless as possible, I guess. But you know what? I'll say one other thing
3: about this is that's another reason why I feel like when I'm the person who's choosing who I want to interview, if I feel interested in the person and I'm the one who seeks them out, it it almost never happens like that. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's I, I kind of get a vibe for somebody, a feel for who they may be. And so normally I think I'm pretty good at choosing who I want to have on the show and and for good reason. And they really do meet my expectations and more most of the time. And it tends to only not work out nicely when somebody has pitched the person to me and I'm really kind of on the fence about them anyway. So I really have to listen to my intuition. I think a little bit more when deciding which guests to say yes to and no to, because I do think that, you know, I kind of know who's going to be good and who's not. And usually if they surprise me, it's, for the better, they're even they ex- exceed my expectations.
0: Well, one thing I was told, and I was told I was crazy for doing this, but I do it. You're here, and I have one. Is that people don't understand why I interview hosts of other programs, and they're going, but aren't they competing with you? And I'm going, well, in some way, yes, but it gives you an opportunity to find out about their program. And, and something that I feel that you should you should listen to. And it gives me some insight on what they're doing different than me. And then when I say that, they're going, oh, that makes a little bit of sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like we're competitors and we shouldn't be, right? I don't feel like that at all. I feel more like we are in the same situation and we're colleagues and we can compare notes right. and, and share stories and that kind of thing.
0: Now, um, I have one coming on next week that I'm a little bit worried about, Um because there are these organizations that are doing are podcast education. And they're teaching people how to podcast. And I have um, a gentleman coming on next week who has one of these organizations. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'd love to have you on the program. I just want to get some information and find out what you're doing and how you can motivate people to go on. But I'm worried because... I'm afraid, of course, they're going to try to sell something. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what else they can tell an audience that I haven't told an audience before because I've been doing this forever. I mean, radio I've been doing for 30 years. This I've been doing since 2006. And, I mean, it's changed over the years, but I just get worried because there are a lot of people out there that are charlatans that are trying to sell a quick way to do it. And in my opinion, the only way to do this is by practicing and doing it week after week after week after week.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would I, I would agree with that. And I think that that is how you learn how to podcast. And at the beginning, I did listen to some podcasts about podcasting. But right. I so was really just... As I was learning the ropes and then, you know, I quickly realized I was outgrowing those. And, and, you know, I'm not just a podcaster either. Like I'm not, it's not just about podcasting. To me, it's about entertainment and Mm -hmm. it's about bringing people into their homes. So um, also the sales thing, I mean, obviously a lot of people are looking to be guests on a show because they do have something they need to sell. So for me, it's somebody selling a a TV show or a new movie that's coming out or a book that they wrote. So I have that, too, sometimes, and usually I tell, if it's a rep who's, who's pitching to me, I will say, well, listen, we will absolutely talk about X, because... Sure, why wouldn't I ask about that? Because that's a current interest or passion of the person or project or whatever. But it's just going to be a small part of the big conversation, which is going to be about getting to know the real person. So if they are not interested in that, they're not coming on my show. Because I definitely, I don't like it when I hear that. If I'm listening to a podcast and the person starts getting sales pitchy, I'm like tuning them out immediately. It's done.
0: Well, that's why next week I'll have a 30 minute interview in the queue ready (laughs) to go just in case. Because, and and again, like I said, I reached out to him because I was curious, because I've read a few things that he wrote and I actually like them. But the more I think about it, I'm going, I wonder if I opened up a can of worms here and I probably can't close it now. But again, (laughs) it's one of those situations where you do it. Now, is there a podcast that you have done with someone? That you did not that that you it went well, but you it's you didn't expect what they were going to say or how honest they were going to be during the program.
4: Um,
3: I think that I don't think that actually happens that often because people have been revealing things to me big time for a long time. Okay, so uh, to me, I almost am surprised when there's not. not a big, like, reveal of some kind. And I don't mean like, oh, I had this one's baby or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, when they don't really reveal something very personal about themselves, that's surprising to me and a little frustrating afterwards because I'm like, oh, I didn't... They didn't really... It was just an interview to them. It wasn't like something different and special uh, and a real connection. And that I don't like because I really do want to form that that relationship. And that's the therapist in me also that I really want to connect and I really expect the person to open up and talk about things. And I, I try to make them comfortable naturally. It's just what I naturally do in conversation. So that less so... Um, I would you know sometimes people do surprise me because I don't uh, their personality was maybe not what I expected. And okay. I try not to judge before I talk to them because i I want to really get to know them in the moment. And I don't want
0: to
3: I know that whatever I see on on the screen is not who they are. And I also don't want to take somebody else's opinion who's written about them or something and make it my own. Um, but maybe the one of the surprising ones recently was, a, an actor named Salvatore Esposito, he's Italian. I spoke to him from Italy. He is a huge star in Italy. Okay. He is the lead actor in the biggest TV series ever in Italy called Gomorrah And it's here now in the U.S. on HBO Max. It just came to HBO Max. We've been waiting for it for years here. there were There were two seasons on Netflix and on the Sundance Channel years ago. Then it got tied up in the Harvey Weinstein mess, and the uh, show did not come back to the U.S. So HBO Max bought it, and they just released seasons one, two, and three. And let me just tell you, for anybody who likes good television, that is your next show. It's called Gomorrah, G-O-M-O-R-R-A-H, and it's fabulous. If you like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, it is better than both of them. So anyway, nobody, not many people here in the U.S. know it, but it's so great. So. Anyway, I'm interviewing Salvatore, I knew I was about to interview him, and I really didn't know him because he's an Italian actor, right? So what do I know about him? And I had no idea what to expect, and he turned out to be probably one of my top two or three interviews ever. I adore him. He and I hit it off immediately. He was this like just wonderful human being, and we laughed, and we told stories, and he shared his uh, his innermost feelings about things. And... It was just so wonderful, and I went in not really expecting much, also thinking there would be a language barrier. And I came out thinking that was one of the greatest interviews of my life. That's so you cool. never know.
0: Well, yeah. I did one about a year and a half ago with someone that I that I respected and everything else, who just retired from their trade. They were working in local media and didn't I, I knew what I saw persona-wise until she started coming out and talking about her alcohol and substance abuse in the middle of the program. And I'm sitting here with my mouth on my desk (laughs) going, Uh huh? "Huh?" I had people that I knew listening to it, texting me going, is she really saying what she's saying? Well, the thing is, she was so honest that night. Again, one one of the best ones that I've done, and she's agreed to come back in the program multiple times, but again, it was something I wasn't expecting because you, you, you see these people in a different light. You never think about their personal lives. And she, again, again, it was something that you wouldn't expect. So when you deal with something like that, that is so off the rails, how do you deal with it? As a therapist, do you keep pushing for more information or do you draw back and let them just answer however they feel comfortable?
3: Yeah. I let them, uh, that's one of my things is I really like them to sort of take the lead and I'm really listening to what they say and responding to what they say more so than remembering how I want to, the interview to go or, or, cause I don't, I don't plan how I want it to go. And I, I come up with some topics ahead of time, but I don't really have specific questions that I plan to ask. So for me, it's all about seeing what they respond to and what they start talking about or what they're interested in, and then I'll respond to that, and then that will usually go in a much more interesting place than a pre-planned agenda, at least for my for that style of interview. Right. So, um, yeah, so I usually just kind of, not just let them go, but if it's interesting, I'll I'll ask them a question about it, or I'll respond to something that they said, and then usually we go even further. And I just love that. I live for that. I live for those moments. I think they're they're so great that they can trust me enough to open up and talk about those things. So good for you that you got that on on uh, right on air. Is everybody's listening to <laughs> that? So cool. I don't know that experience,
0: you know, where people are texting me as yeah, I'm actually doing the interview. So the other thing is, and and you mentioned it, but I didn't. I didn't get the answer I wanted uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay I do tell do you do you have a list of questions that you ask your get gu- that you want to ask your guest or you want to get to before the end of the program
3: so I usually go in with a like a, I, I will write a bullet point list ahead of time of things that topics possible topics that I should be covering um, and I they're not really questions they're just broad and maybe I'll list some things that I can ask if there's really not much to talk about. Um, And I have some standard questions for that that I can go to. But I really don't look much at my notes or anything. And, you know, I have them next to the computer if I'm doing a Zoom, but in person, I don't usually even have them near me. And so I don't really have that agenda. But like I said before, if there's somebody who's been in a couple of things that are really prominent, like, you know, for, for example, Talia Shire, I'm not going to not ask her about The Godfather, and of Rocky. Course. of course yeah. I'm going to. I mean, I wanted to ask about both of those things, too, but, you know, I, I also don't want to be caught in the trap with actors, and I do see this a lot, I listen, I hear it on podcasts that I listen to, is sometimes they the host goes in the direction of questions about, Acting or films they've been in And it doesn't go beyond that And while that's fine for a podcast That's about acting I totally get it But for me, I want to know that guest On a more personal level Not just the work they've done So I don't want to get caught in that trap And so that's the thing I do look out for Also during an interview It's like, okay, are we talking too much About this one show or this one project And then I may swing the direction a little bit
0: well, I learned years ago um, doing this that if I write questions down, I feel the need to stick to them. So uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't do that anymore. I actually have maybe one question, or the first thing I do is I ask the guests to explain themselves and who they are to the audience and I will pick something up out of that and that will get the ball rolling because I listen to everything that is said and try to phrase a question dealing with what they're talking about either to get more information out of them or to direct them in a way that I feel that they want to talk about and usually it works I've never had an issue where one has not I've not drawn someone out of that that shell now again like I said I've had ones that have hit brick walls but mm-hmm. we've gotten to a certain point where I know we can't go any further.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I don't know about you, but do you, when you're listening to a show or watching a show, do you sometimes see the interviewer, like, stick to those Pre-planned questions when the guest had just said something very interesting yes. that they could have elaborated on, and like I'll be sh- I'll be walking my dog, listening to a yeah. podcast, and somebody will say something, and the host will basically skip to the next thing, and I'll start actually saying out loud like, "No, let him talk, let him talk," you know, because I want to hear the rest of what he said, you know.
0: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, I try do. not to and, do that. And I also when I look at the, when I look at this when I do it as a host. I'm trying to think of what the guest or not the guest, but what the listener wants to know. So that way I try to go in that direction too, going, okay, I'm sitting in my living room. I'm listening to this on my phone. There's nothing on TV. They play the podcast. What do they want to know from that individual? And most of the time I can do it. And there are occasions where I'm way off the mark, but I think we're all that way that uh, sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, so...
3: Well, that is a good point. That reminds me of something. Of I had Mike Rowe on my podcast and on the YouTube channel recently, a few months ago. So, Mike Rowe is the host of Dirty Jobs yes. on the Discovery Channel. And, right, he's hosted all these other things too Deadliest Catch, all these other things. Um, he's very prolific. So, however, I didn't actually watch his shows. Like, I'm not really a Discovery Channel watcher. But I knew that he has major fans who would be watching this interview and listening to this interview and would want to know things that I don't know they want to know. So, you know what I did was I actually reached out to Facebook fan groups of Mike's and I asked them. Yeah, I asked them ahead of time. I said, hey, what would you want to know about Mike? You know, like, what would you want to ask? I did that for Michael Emerson, too, uh, who played Ben Linus on Lost, even though I loved Lost. But for whatever reason, I decided to do that. And the fans had a ton of questions they wanted to know. So after Mike Rowe, I'll give you a little inside scoop, I could see from his Facebook fans, and there are so many of them, that they didn't really know anything about him personally. Like right. They felt like they know him personally. They felt like they like he's a friend of theirs almost. But at the same time, they had no idea if he's married, if he has any kids, what he thinks of marriage. Like they didn't know anything about his personal life. And so I kind of made it my mission that I need to find these answers for them. And that's what I did. So he, when I talked to him, he was very much ready to go the usual route with the questions that he's used to getting But I had to get in there, and he even said it so funny at the end. He's like, all right, Kara, you really put me on the couch, didn't you? And he did. He answered a lot of these questions, and we had a great talk. And I think his Facebook fans were thrilled because they got to see this side of him that
0: they hadn't seen before. So it all worked out. That is awesome. Kara, I hate to say it, but we're done. Uh, All right. (laughs) The time just (laughs) flew by like it always does. And I really appreciate you taking time to talk with uh, with me and uh, and my audience tonight about your program and about some of the people you've talked to and your style of doing things. And uh, I wish you the best of luck, and hopefully uh, maybe not a year and a half later, but maybe um, sometime soon when you get back to live interviews again, I can get you back on the program. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Bill. It was fun, as always. You have a great night, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks again. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Kara Mayer Robinson from the Really Famous Podcast here online with Bill Alexander. Um, great interview, as always. Great person to talk to, and I hope you enjoyed that. Again, you can find her podcast at, really, it's not hard to figure out, reallyfamouspodcast.com. And the people that she has interviewed, I'm envious, uh, <laughs> just just with some of the people on the list ...that she has talked to over the past few years is just downright amazing. From, uh, let's see here. Uh, Annette O'Toole, Annie Potts, Ben Vereen, Henry Winkler, uh, Randy Rainbow, Chris Lau, Curtis Armstrong, Daisy Fuentes, Danny Aiello, uh, Dee Wallace, Dennis Quaid, Ed Asner. Oh, I'd love to talk to Ed Asner. And um, Eric Bogosian. Fabio, <laughs> Gloria Gaynard, I will survive, and many, many more. So if you want to find out who she's talked to, it is a great program to listen to and to watch because she makes you very comfortable while you listen to it. And it's something that you would do. Like she said, she's trying to make you you part of the interview when you listen to it. So it's great um, to be able to have Kara on the program tonight. Really appreciate it. Next week... As if I can see with my glasses, which I will be getting new ones here real soon, just to give you a heads up so I can see. Um, It's tough getting old. I will tell you that. But next week, we have Colin Gray coming in, the podcast host. He'll be back in next. He'll be in on Monday night. Then the following week, on the 5th, we have Faust Rigorio, um, an award-winning author. Um, It's called Fix Yourself. And then following that, we have uh, comedian, actor... (laughs) and regular on the TV program, uh, Blue Bloods. Giamarco Sorci will be on the program. He's Reporter 1 or Reporter 2, depending on the program you watch. We also are going to have an Elvis Presley impersonator that was in the movie, Almost Elvis. His name is Gene Diapoli. He'll be on the program in a few weeks. And one of the big ones I have, and I'm looking forward to it, um, you guys have seen the commercial for GEICO. And you've seen the group Tag Team in the commercial. Well, D.C., the brain supreme of Tag Team, will be on the program on Monday, May 3rd. So we'll start billboarding that right now. Looking forward to talking to him. And we'll say, whoop, there it is. But anyhow, that's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander. I am out of here. You have a great night. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
1: This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com.
2: How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com.
0: Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing Designer This or Designer That? Even Designer Furniture. On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the Designer
4: Prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com.